cuando era un niño Someone in the crowd might have looked at me fail With an evil eye, abuela called it ojo Reached in the fridge and took out a huevo Sign of the cross with the egg as a remedy Rub it on my body to remove the bad energy Pray out loud so we can all hear it Egg underneath the bed to absorb the evil spirits The wind blew, the house shook I laid back with candles, the rosary and the sage plant Sana, sana, fix vapor rub on my chest Fell asleep and woke up in a puddle of sweat Felt better after shaking the omen Zoning, floating on the earth that I'm roaming In the Americas, some call it folklore Well, I broke the egg, now I'm free from all And bloodline to, to the, the test. test When one is jealous of, of another success Family, friends, associates And neighbors can all result to bevel When chasing after paper Friends and enemies, good and bad energy Malde ojo, affecting culture Psychology, bad vibes can damage You and your circle, wrong intentions From so-called friends can hurt you Watch the life you're living, keep them at a distance They'd rather see you missing than healthy And uplifted, see you get this chance In this life to make a difference that surround you will affect conditions live in space positive how i live yes i try to weather stormy gray day or outside sky blue work through the pain from the out and the inside embrace the joy and avoid the evil eye Tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over. You're tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz. We are focusing today on the Democrat runoff for Texas Senate. And we want to remind you often early voting for the runoff elections has already begun. Now, we know you know voting is important, but you need to be the inspiring force in your family, in your neighborhood, who fires up your entire crew to vote. The last day to vote all day is next Tuesday, July 14th. This is our last show before that runoff. Due to the COVID-19 crisis, we know voter turnout will be low so your vote is more powerful than ever. Today, we talk to the two Democrat candidates who are competing to challenge the incumbent, John Cornyn, this November. At the top of the show, we interview MJ Hagar, who has served in the military and has been decorated for her valor. On the second half of the show, we speak to Royce West, who has a law degree from the University of Houston and has served in the Texas legislature. Of course, we have to talk to them about Republican Ted Cruz's blocking of a Democrat bill to support DACA recipients and so much more. Speaking of DACA, I want to follow up on our last program. The Protectors of the Dream organization has been reactivated. 
we talked to immigration attorney Carolina Ortusar Diaz from Monte and Ramirez. Her firm announced that the Protectors of the Dream will sponsor 20 grants for first-time DACA applicants to cover the $495 application fee. You can get that form at the Monte Ramirez website, the Protectors of the Dream website, or the platforms for Latino politics and news, and Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. Today's show is dedicated to the memory of Rodolfo Anaya, a progenitor of Chicano literature who just passed away. I'm blessed to have been inspired by his writing and then have gotten to know him as a person and a friend. I will never forget when he invited the Libro Traficantes to break bread at his house in Albuquerque during the 2012 Libro Traficante caravan as we smuggled his books back into Arizona. He toasted us with tequila and told us to occupy Arizona. The Libro Traficantes, Nuestra Palabra, and writers across the Southwest and the entire nation and the entire world vow to keep working to edify his legacy and our community and culture. We want to thank our crew for donating their cultural capital to the show. Lete Lopez, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes the show remotely, Claudia Soler Alfonso, Jesse Aranda Comer, our summer intern through Rice University, Antonio Diaz, another summer intern, Lauri Flores, Stefano Cavasa, and Al Castillo, president of LULEC Council 60. This is Tony Diaz with Latino Politics and News every Tuesday here on KPFT 90.1 FM. Join us for Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, Tuesdays too. And look for me Sundays on What's Your Point on Fox 26 Houston. Thanks so much for tuning in. Yeah, look, I woke up with my attitude Kanye. I don't give up what my mom say. Okay, maybe a little bit, but only because I'm really not trying to start up any beef with my madre. But in my mind, today I'm Beyonce. I don't want to hear whatever y'all say. I'm a beast, give me monster, no latte. Wearing all black like I'm robbing you in broad day. I had one too many bad nights. Today I don't want to hear no advice. So all of you little, it was at night. I don't want to open half the ass twice. It's any other day, but not boy. You can even hear the tone of my voice. Today my grind is pumped up on roids. Today my ego's gas up like Floyd. Look, I swear to God, the life I live has got my mind like aye, aye, aye. All my bros that selling O's that push that throw that why, aye, aye. What you want, them bars patron that got you on that aye, aye, aye. Trying to roll, you lose control. Beyond that level, don't try, aye, aye. Ya, 
tuning into Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. We're joined via telephone by Democrat candidate for the post of Texas Senator Mary or MJ Hagar. First, welcome to the radio show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. By all means, I mean, I hate to look at your to-do list right now. So, <laughs> so we know you're working really hard. I do want our listeners to know that you're a decorated combat veteran, a working mom, and Texan after growing up in rural Texas and graduating from the University of Texas. Of course, I want all our Aggie listeners to keep listening because this is important information. <laughs> you know, after that, you became a commissioned officer in the Air Force and... Thanks, you know, thanks to a lot of persistence and dedication, you were selected for a highly competitive spot in the pilot training program where you graduated at the top of your class and you went on to serve three tours in Afghanistan as a combat search and rescue medic pilot where you earned a Purple Heart. So thank you for your service. No, thank you. And it, was, it was my honor to serve. And right now, you live in Round Rock with your husband, two young sons, and dogs. You are in a July 14th Democrat runoff election for Texas Senator. I want folks to remember early voting has begun. Tell your tias, your tios, your neighbors. She is facing Royce West. The winner will run against Republican incumbent John Cornyn. And welcome to Latino Politics and News. Thank you so much. Originally, I was going to talk to you about your thoughts on the Supreme Court decision regarding DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. But just a little while ago, Texas Senator Ted Cruz blocked a Senate bill that would have provided a long-term answer for DACA recipients with a pathway to citizenship. Of course, Republicans controlled the Senate. It just took one objection to stop the process that was put forth by mm -hmm. Democrats. On top of it, Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz called the Supreme Court decision on DACA particularly disgraceful, and he said that passing a DACA bill is the wrong priority as the coronavirus outbreak pushes unemployment at, to record levels. So if you were Texas Senator right now, would you have done all that he just did? <laughs> no. Um, I think Senator Cruz wants to pick and choose who he represents instead of uh, representing Texas as a state and understanding that that's not just people that look like him. Um, and actually, that action is exactly what I would have highlighted to you if you had said, you know, what do you think of the Supreme Court ruling? Not necessarily his specific action, but that type of action is that we can't get too excited. I mean, I'm happy about the Supreme Court decision, but it was granted on a technicality. And I am sure that more challenges to the program will continue under this administration's determination to fight immigration in all its forms. Um, and that's just another example. Like that program is, it, we're glad that we got the Supreme Court decision we did, but we, we need to stay vigilant and not take our eye off the ball. Um, you know, we need to make sure that we understand and that we educate people that the dreamers are our teachers, they're doctors, they're our future, you know, and, and that we need to continue to fight for them. It's the only country they've ever known. They deserve a pathway to citizenship. It makes us better and stronger as a country. Um, and, you know, we just need to not take our eye off the ball. That's a great point. I mean, we've done coverage of the ruling and we've looked at it inside out. But you bring up an important issue in that if the Trump administration continues, if Donald Trump is reelected, he is vowed to go after DACA. And if he is reelected and he keeps a Republican majority, we can just imagine 
what's going to happen with DACA and all immigration down the line because it seems that this administration is out to make uh, you know a path to citizenship very very difficult. Yeah, you know, we see pathways to citizenship that have been well established under attack. We see this administration trying to remove reasons people can seek asylum to include uh, domestic violence, which is something very personal to me. I've long been an advocate for survivors of domestic violence. My family and I are survivors um, ourselves. Um, and, you know, there are people that I served with in the military that were serving to try as a pathway to citizenship, which I believe is one of the more, um, you know, honorable, uh, you know, clearly if you're, if you're willing to put on the uniform and then go and risk your life for a country, then, then you are a citizen of that country. You should be a citizen of that country. Um, and I see people doing this and, and going over to Afghanistan and Iraq and other places being combat veterans, experiencing traumatic brain injury and other things, coming back home and then getting deported for minor misdemeanors that, mm. by the way, a lot of us returning from combat zones are committing minor misdemeanors that I think should be considered combat related um, because we're not treating our veterans right. But most Americans I, and most Texans, I think, and they find out that these these people love our country and are trying to serve our country and are trying to find a path to citizenship through military service and then we're deporting them for minor misdemeanors, not granting them access to VA services, not fulfilling promises we made to them. Um, and then, you know, there was recently a rash, well, not recently now, probably, I don't know, less than a year ago, I think, um, a rash of de-enlistments for people who were pursuing citizenship. And a nonpartisan objective board was put together at, to review those, and they found nearly 90% of them to be without merit. So there's an attack on immigration from this administration, and there's a lack of acknowledgement from people like Senator Cruz, but also Senator Cornyn and a lot of others, uh, a lack of acknowledgement on how immigrant communities and people coming here to pursue citizenship enrich us, um, make us a stronger country. And by the way, uh, our position as a leader of the free world, uh, we're supposed to be a beacon of freedom and hope and democracy, and the fact that people come here seeking citizenship is one of the things that makes us a global power. So I fear for our future national security with this attack on a blatant attack on immigration. I appreciate those insights. And of course, immigration isn't the only issue important to Latinos. We're going to get some other issues. But I want to say one thing. You have passed our non-Hispandering test because you are well-versed on those issues. So we really appreciate that. Uh, I do want to move on to another issue because we could do three hours and <laughs> just yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. um, but one of the we other <laughs> one of the other issues important for Latinos is education. So I wanted to find out what would you do to empower Hispanic serving institutions to really help Latinos? So for example, Latino faculty members at your alma mater, University of Texas at Austin, they released a report quantifying how they were underpaid. They were compensated less than white faculty. And of course, Latinos are also underrepresented at most institutions of higher learning across the board. What might you do to, to change some of that? Yeah, you know, I think uh, step one is we need to elect legislators who listen to teachers um, and, to, and, and to listen to um, different communities across demographic you know, across demographic lines as well, um, more collaborative people, because 
I think that when you um, take Don Cornyn, for example, who kind of grew up in a, in a bubble and lives in an ivory tower and is very separate away from regular folks like us, right? Um, even if he were well-intentioned, which I would question, he doesn't have the experience to understand the implicit bias that is, you know, permeates every aspect of our society to include education, whether that's for race or gender. You know, we've seen a lot of studies. I'd like to see more more information put out there in the public about the implicit bias around race. There's a, a lot out there about gender, about teachers um, pushing STEM on boys and things like that. Um, so I think increasing education, giving a, a, a voice in your policy creation to teachers and to uh, members of different communities, um, spending time in uh, Hispanic communities like the RGV and El Paso and all, you know, from, from one end to the other there on the border, right, but all along there in Del Rio and everything, places that I've spent time in and I've developed my policy based on the, in, the conversations I've had with community leaders there. Uh, but there's a lot that we can do. We support teachers, but, you know, we should just make sure that the zip code is not able to determine your success. You know, we need to, um, one of the things that I think that we need to really watch is that Hispanic serving institutions are not being discriminated against um, when we look at the distribution of resources and things. Um, and that we ensure that the government is not profiting off of student loans um, or targeting minorities and, um, you know, charging higher interest rates. And there's all sorts of things that fly under the radar that have the result in discriminated against people of color. So I would also like to see um, across the board uh, an increase in investment in union apprenticeships and vocational training. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of focus on college. There's not enough focus on, on K through 12. Um, I don't know. I think that there's a lot that we can do. And maybe that's because I was raised here in Texas and went to public schools. And um, I'm just really tired of seeing the politics in education. I'd really like to see, hey, you know, this is, this is the future of our country, literally, um, whether or not we maintain our position as a world superpower is going to be dependent on the people who are in school right now. And we have to make sure that we're broadening opportunity for everyone. It's a great point that you bring up about implicit bias, especially post slaying of George Floyd, because it has such a wide impact. Even like you say, during interviews, are more women hired? Are more Latino candidates even looked at? That doesn't seem to be one of the uh, the uh, modus operandi for <laughs> for Cornyn. Let, let me ask you one other question about implicit bias. So, of course, there's some folks that believe even the phrase build a wall has some negative identity politics in it. What are your thoughts on that? So if one of your constituents were to say, you know what, that phrase to me just offends me. What would your thoughts be on that? You know, I think when, well, first of all, if, if a constituent says the phrase offends them, I, I'm with them. It, I, I find it um, offensive on a couple levels. Um, but if, if a constituent says we need to build a wall, I think that it, it's, it's really important that we uh, ask that person some questions. Before, before getting angry at them, um, and this is why I've been able to build such a broad coalition, right, is because the change management training in me takes over. And I start to ask questions on where is this coming from? Because if it's coming from a place of hate and racism, then that's not a, a conversation. You can't, you know, really get anywhere with that person. <laughs> right. But if it's coming from a place of genuinely being misguided and not understanding, but thinking that it will help uh, protect our country and it's a national security thing, that's the one I can work with. That's the one that I can say, okay, look, 
This is why building a wall does not make us more secure. This is these are the reasons. One, it's ineffective. Two, it's stealing from the military construction budget, which is sorely needed to help with daycares and lodging and things like that. Um, it's stealing land from landowners in Texas, and it's hurting our national security because it's projecting an image to the world that America is now in the same category as Berlin and China, and we build walls against people. We're not you know, the leaders of the free world. Um, so not only do I think it's ineffective in protecting us to build a wall where, where you know, I've spent 12 years in the military. I, I have national security expertise and understanding beyond what I think is um, normal because politics tends to be an echo chamber of career politicians. Um, and I, I can see to things that I've seen work and not work when it comes to physical security. Um, we need to be investing in information and technology, and we need to have better leadership and, and uh, policies, things like a policy of family separation. That really puts us at risk. Not only is it morally reprehensible, by the way, but it also, if I'm talking to someone who's national security-minded, I say, look, we can't go to the UN unless for China on their treatment of the Uyghurs while we're taking asylum seekers and ripping their children from them and putting them in cages. And then, by the way, feeling safe enough to admit that that is a policy of deterrence, that it has nothing to do with human trafficking or national security, but we're trying to deter people from coming here by traumatizing the next generation. It's just, it blows my mind. And I think that I'm pretty effective at talking to those mostly independent voters who want to prioritize our national security, but recognize that the path that this administration is going down is not it. You know, as someone that teaches ethnic studies and mixed American studies courses, I like that approach because what you're doing is instead of antagonizing or eliciting just emotional responses, you're actually breaking down all the different layers of history, stereotypes, and getting to some basic historical facts. On that note, Last question would be, it seems one great way to address a lot of the structural racism that is being addressed right now, as well as take on the approach that you just broke down, would be to implement ethnic studies early on. You know, we've been campaigning for mixed American studies and African American studies for a long time. We're glad that the Texas State Board of Education passed it. Be great to see it as a requirement in Texas uh, for graduation. That, of course, would probably be for Texas legislators. Um, it's not on the radar government. Uh, it's not on the radar nationwide yet. But what are your thoughts on the role of ethnic studies in schools and any ways you might incorporate those studies or a broader approach to culture if you're elected senator? Yeah, I mean, you started that question with, that's an interesting way to break that down. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that that's how I was able to go to D.C. and build a broad coalition of Republicans and Democrats to open hundreds of thousands of jobs for women in the military. Um, that wasn't just about job opportunity. It was about uh, trying to change the culture in a very predatory, warrior-minded, male-dominated career field. Mm. Like we, we, we can still be an effective fighting force without allowing a predatory um, in environment. And, and we see, you know, we just had a soldier, it's emotional for me to talk about security, but we had a soldier from Fort, Fort Hood that the investigation hasn't happened mm -hmm. yet, but it seems pretty clear that she was targeted. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it's important that we enact changes. It's not a, a, a far distance to draw a line from policies that discriminate against women in the military to a culture 
that's allowing predation of women in the military, right? So we need to be able to go in and talk to Democrats about their values and say, um, look, this policy of closing jobs for women is um, discriminatory and unconstitutional, but those arguments don't work on Republicans. You mm-hmm. go to Republicans and say, you know, the Joint Chiefs have asked for us to lift this policy because it's hurting recruiting and retention, it's hurting the military, um, it's a national security issue, and then we were able to build a broad bipartisan coalition. So I think we can do that in a lot of things, in things like immigration and um, climate change and gun violence. Um, and you're specifically asking about aesthetic courses. Um, I'm definitely open to it. I, I think that more cultural awareness, especially, um, you know, in, in, in Texas, um, is never a bad thing. Before I would ever commit to, um, you know, pursuing something, though, I would absolutely go back to my teacher advisors. <laughs> you know, I have an advisory board of teachers, but I um, would never, like, speak for or against anything without getting them to the way any kids. Well, I do feel like education is something I'm super passionate about, partly because I have a three- and a five-year-old. Um, I've never been a teacher. I mean, I've taught, you know, some some classes at UT, um, during the, in the in the business school and things like that, um, and been a guest lecturer, but that doesn't really qualify me to, to speak on it without bringing in my, um, you know, educational team. Um, but basically, I don't really leave any option at this point off the table, especially since we clearly have a problem. And by the way, none of these reforms and changes and let's make things better is going to happen if we don't vote out people who stand in the way of reform and tweet out racist rhetoric and race-baiting things Mm. like John Cornyn. And and I really appreciate bringing up Private Guillen. Appreciate you calling in. Yeah. I don't know if you'd like to add anything else that you want our listeners to know about you. Um, no, I just, uh, I guess what I would want to add is, um, get out and vote. You know, it's, it's a scary time to vote right now. I know that. I know governor's trying to keep us from being able to vote by mail. We can't let them keep us from the polls and silence us. Um, so please get out and vote like your children's futures depend on it. We've been speaking with MJ Hager, who is running to be Senator of Texas. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. La última vez Tú me dijiste que me odiabas y que pa' atrás no ibas a volver De repente recibí una llamada y eras tú otra vez Tú que pensabas que por irte el mundo se me iba a virar al revés Qué mal te fue Qué pasó, qué pasó Probaste con otro culito pero al final no te resultó
de usuario que va a ser necesario Yo te voy a bullear en la sesión de comentarios Pa' que tú no jodas conmigo Tú estás claro que ya somos enemigos Ya llegó mi tiempo Como un cheque semanal tengo que cambiarte Ya llegó mi tiempo Como un cheque semanal yo voy a cambiarte ¿Qué pasó? Caliente, muy caliente, 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 ca
caliente Tú muy caliente. me tienes loco, loco contigo Yo trato y trato, pero baby, no te olvido Tú me tienes loco, loco contigo Yo trato y trato, pero baby, aquí yo sigo Thanks for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. We are joined via telephone by Democrat candidate for the post of Texas Senator, Texas Senator Royce West. First of all, welcome to the radio program. Tony, thank you very much for inviting me to the program. Now I want to remind our listeners that as Texas State Senator, you represented the 23rd Senatorial District on behalf of the citizens of Dallas County. And during your tenure, you were named by Texas Monthly one of the 10 best legislators in Texas, and you received countless awards from community and business organizations for your leadership. You also served as vice chair of the Senate for Higher Education, and you were a member of the Senate Committee on Education, Finance, and Transportation. I got to let our listeners know that, well, we'll mention University of Texas at Arlington where you got your BA and MA, but you got your law degree at the University of Houston, and there's a lot of cougars who tune into the show. In fact, some of our interns right now are, are clapping. <laughs> and uh, that's where you gained an understanding of the importance of education, which is big for our listeners. And while serving in many capacities on the Higher Education Committee, currently vice chairman, you made sure that education was affordable and that universities ensured higher education for all students. Thanks for all that you've done, and thanks for taking on public service to the next level. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate you letting me be on your show today. And, of course, we got to tell our listeners 15 times, maybe 20, that you're in a runoff for the Texas Senate seat. July 14th is the last day to vote. I'm hoping that our listeners have already voted. they got to call their tias, their tios, their cousins to go vote. And the winner will face Republican incumbent John Cornyn. Originally, I wanted to talk about your views on the Supreme Court decision regarding DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. But Ted Cruz, his actions have completely altered our questions because just recently he blocked the Democrat Senate bill that would have provided a long-term solution for DACA recipients, and that contained the pathway to citizenship. On top of it, he also said that the Supreme Court decision on DACA was disgraceful, and then he said that passing a DACA bill was the wrong priority during the corona outbreak. Let me ask you this. Um, if, you, if you were Texas senator right now, <laughs> would you have done all that? <laughs> Of course not. I would not have done that. I mean, uh, Ted Cruz should know better, but, you know, he's pandering to his conservative base. That's what he's doing, okay? He cares less about these issues than he should. Uh, and I can be, you can be assured that when I, once I become the U.S. senator that you will have a senator that will be very, very supportive of providing a pathway to citizenship for young students involved in the DACA program. That's excellent, especially because this administration not only has vowed to take DACA out, 
But Betsy DeVos, who was appointed by the Trump administration as Secretary of Education, she went out of her way to cut DACA recipients out of any COVID-19 relief. Would you... Yes. Do you agree with those actions? Would you keep her? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And the fact is this. Tony, we've got to make... That's why it's so important that people get off of their, excuse the expression, butts. Go there. Go there. Yes. (laughs) And vote. Okay? We can't keep complaining if we don't participate in the process. If you want these types of issues addressed, then you've got to get up and vote. You've got to get up and make certain that you vote for someone that's sensitive to the issues and has demonstrated that they're sensitive to the issues. You know, my granddaddy told me a long time ago, you can kind of tell where a person's going to be going in the future by looking at their past performance. Mm. And if you look at my past performance, you know where I am on this issue and you know where I'm going to be in the future on this issue. Not a talking point based on my experience. And so if you want change, we've got to make certain that we do what's in the best interest of DACA students and, 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 and make sure we put in place a pathway of citizenship uh, for them as well as others. And that, that is fantastic news. Of course, we could go on and on about immigration. That's a vital issue, but we always try and expand some of the issues that people consider important to Latinos. Sure. A big mm-hmm. one, which is one of your specialties, is education. So absolutely. Let me ask you this: How would you empower Hispanic-serving institutions to really help the Latino community? So, for example, Latino faculty members at the University of Texas at Austin, as you recall, released a report quantifying how they were paid less than their white counterparts, and across the whole spectrum of higher education, Latinos are underrepresented. What would you do to change some of that? Well. Well, encourage Latinos to vote. Again, there is no real secret to this. To my Latino brothers and sisters, I have worked and worked and worked to bring equity to every institution in the state of Texas, and we'll do the same thing at the federal level. But in order to make certain it becomes a priority, We've got to make certain we have someone in the governor's mansion, we've got the lieutenant governor, the attorney general. We've got to, we've got to have make sure the speaker of the house. All of those positions, which you have power over right now, once we get them to be sensitive, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, obviously I'm a Democrat, I want you to be Democratic. But who, regardless, whoever's there, we've got to make sure they're sensitive to these issues be able to show that there is a disparity in the pay, be able to show that there's a disparity in terms of uh, the allocation of resources to Hispanic-serving institutions. We're able to do that, then we'll be able to use our collective muscle, and when I say muscle, voting power, to make certain that they are sensitive and they address the issues. If they don't, we vote them out. Well, I'm glad you brought up voting issues. Because what I would say is that there's a lot of voter suppression, especially against black and brown communities. And one way that I've seen and that our some of our volunteers have seen is that in theory, every high school is supposed to be giving information about voting to students. And right now, 
about 52% of Texas public school students are Latino. But the reports that we're getting is that most schools are not very aggressively informing them about the right to vote and reaching out for civic engagement. What are some other ways you might address voter suppression here in Texas? And what are some other tactics that, with your expertise, you might pick up to see, hmm, I can see how that is putting a chill on the vote? Well, in terms of, let's let's start with school, first of all. You know, we've got to continue to to roll that out and make certain that the educators know that that's exactly what needs to be done. Unfortunately, right now, obviously, we have the COVID and the impact of COVID, so it's not really at a top priority. And frankly, being able to get the students on those types of issues is pretty difficult given the the condition of uh, school closures and, Frank, how we will open up school this fall. But hopefully it is an issue and that the administrators will find a way to, to um, make certain that students know that. In terms of the voting suppressing issue, suppressing suppressor, suppressing issue, we've got to make sure we continue to, to file lawsuits when we need to. Uh, we've got to make certain that uh, when they bring up, uh, when Republicans bring up uh, draconian bills in order to maintain power, that we fight them with every vote that we have available for us in the legislature, be it the House or the Senate. Frankly, right now, in terms of the history of the state of Texas, the House is, uh, Democrats have more uh, influence in the House than in the Senate. We gotta make certain that down in San Antonio and Bear County, that we elect a Democrat again uh, to serve as the uh, state senator from that particular area. That gives us, that will give us 13 Democratic state senators as opposed to 12 that we currently have. That one Senate seat can make the difference as it relates to bringing bills up on the floor and mm. being able to kill bills in the legislative body. And so, again, the, the, the root, the common denominator, Tommy, of all of this is voting. We've got to vote. If we do that, then we'll get the power that we need to be able to elect the persons that we need to to stop voter suppression, make certain resources allocated in the manner in which they need, and then we'll be able to hold those persons accountable. And you bring a good point in that even at the federal level, the Senate is very close in terms of how many Republicans there are and how many Democrats there are. And likewise, here in Texas, it seems to be the same, not as close, but it's very close to to be a tipping point to pass certain laws one way way or the other. Regarding Texas legislation, which you know inside out, and that's a little different, one big issue that we're near and dear to is ethnic studies. So we've advocated for Mexican American studies. We're very happy to take State Board of Education, relented and supported Mexican American studies and most recently African American studies. Now, it's not on the federal agenda yet. And of course, probably the Texas legislation could take a bill to say, hey, every student in, in Texas must take ethnic studies in order to graduate. But there may be some other ways that U.S. Senator could promote ethnic studies. And that seems to be one way to address a lot of the structural, uh, racial structural issues that have come up post-George Floyd. Uh, so post-George Floyd. So what are some ways that you might help promote education through ethnic studies? And what are your thoughts on ethnic studies? Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad to say that working with the Texas State School Board, we were able to pass um, a African-American studies program similar to the Hispanic studies program at the State Board of Education. Mm-hmm. We're able to get that done. I think it's important that uh, the 
various groups that we have that are advocating for that, that we continue to advocate for it. Uh, you know, I must say that I think that's more appropriate at the state level than the federal level in order to get implemented. Because, again, each state will have its uh, own manner in which those things occur. Uh, I think having a secretary of education that's sensitive to those issues may very well help us to be able to get more states to adopt these types of programs. You know there's no way in the world we'll get it done under Betsy DeVos. So those groups should be able to, um, I'll put it like this, lobby the secretary of education in order to make certain that he or she is sensitive to that issue and do the best to implement that at the state levels. Appreciate you adding that level of strategy to it because that is wise then to coordinate what's going on locally and nationally. And we should point out too that you make a good point. California is possibly on the verge of passing that bill, but you're right. Every, every state's a little bit different. Um, right. Staying on the issue of education, we do want to talk about, lastly, arts and culture. That's a big issue, important for, for our community. So the Trump administration regularly attacks funding for the arts whenever they present a new budget. And here in Texas, there's not enough Latino cultural arts centers to serve the community. Uh, here in Houston, where we're 40% of the population, we don't have right. enough cultural centers to, to reach the entire community as needs be any ideas on how to address these issues and how important would art and culture be in your administration as senator well i mean i, I think that you should always uh, address arts and culture I th but i think you address it from the vantage point of uh, uh, a a coordinated effort in terms of funding from the federal government in terms of art and culture funds uh state government and local funds and then you try to bring in the private sector also. And so if you do that coordinated effort through those particular um, sources, I think you can get it done. Uh, after all, uh, you take Houston. Houston has a, a, a thriving arts center. You know that as well as I do. Mm -hmm. World renowned. And so to the extent that we need to make certain that we push the uh, priorities of having Latino art centers, then that, then that has to be something that you got to take up locally. And then those persons in city government or uh, in um, whatever appropriate county government need to look for the sources of revenue necessary in order to fund those initiatives and bring the private sector in also in order to stand those particular projects out. Not only in Houston, that needs to be done across the country. We've got to make certain that there is, in fact, an interest by the private sector being involved, and that interest needs to be manifested by putting resources as well as the government to make a public and private relationship to stand up those types of projects, and not only those, but the art and cultural projects. And you brought up an important issue of funding. If you were senator, would you allow the president to reallocate funds from one budget to fund his border wall and his fascination with the border wall? I mean, I haven't checked. Maybe Mexico has paid. I don't know. Since we last called, Mexico has not made any down payments on the wall. But you, <laughs> you, try, you try to be funny there. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you have, um, how would you vote for his wishes to fund the border wall using these sapping other budgetary issues like the military? You know, I think that what needs to happen that Congress needs to take a good, hard look at how he was able to transfer funds from one budget to another budget 
and then make a decision as to whether or not it needs to do something in order to prevent those types of transfers. Okay. Apparently, he was able to move it from one budget to another budget based on current law. And if that's the case, then we need to look at that current law. If we do not need a wall across our southern border. Okay. Now, do we need to make sure we maintain safety? Of course we do. But we need to make sure we have comprehensive immigration reform, have more judges in position to hear the asylum cases to make a determination as to whether or not it should be granted or denied. Not a wall across our entire southern border. Appreciate those insights. In closing, is there anything that you'd like our listeners to know about you, your campaign, or what Texas and America might look like and act like with U.S. Senator? Uh, this is what I'll say to you. Yeah, fellow Democrats, independents, Republicans who are voting uh, for in the Democratic primary this time around, or will be voting for me in the general election, this is what I'll say to you. Are you tired of being a victim of history? Or do you want to make history? The way that you make history is by voting for the most experienced candidate, Voting for someone that is ready themselves to be the nominee for the Democratic Party and provide the leadership, the ability, demonstrated the ability to bring people together in terms of a coalition, demonstrated the ability to get the support of other senatorial U.S. candidates in the state of Texas, Christina Ramirez, Michael Cooper. Sima Hernandez, Amanda Edwards, just to name a few, demonstrated the ability to be able to bring and receive the support of the Tejano Democrats, the Mexican-American Democrats, Texas Coalition of Black Democrats, unions, American Federation of Teachers, CWA, Communication Workers of America, Steelworkers, just to name a few in Texas. You know, Washington is trying to decide who the Democratic nominee will be. You want a true Democrat. You want a person that's never before voted in a Republican presidential contest, never before voted for the opponent or contributed to the opponent that you want to run against in the fall. You want a true Democrat, someone that's helped build a party. It's demonstrated the ability to bring people together. To help candidates up and down the ballot. That served as a convention chair for the Democratic Party. Again, a true Democrat. I said that for the third time. You want someone with a vision that's worked on racism and equity-related issues in all institutions, whether it's education, health and human services, and on and on. And that's Royce West. Look at my record. Go to RoyceWest.com. And when you go there, you will be able to see someone that served in the legislature, that's been progressive on bringing body cameras, passing one of the first body camera bills in the nation, worked on racial profiling, worked on hate crimes, someone that's ready for this election and to defeat John Corning. 
So if you no longer want to be a victim of history, let's work together and make history in the state of Texas. And by doing that, you should vote for Royce West to be the Democratic nominee for the United States Senate. Thank you very much. We've been talking to Royce West, candidate for Senator of Texas. Thank you so much for calling in. All right, Tony, take care.
ese booty tan chulita como Anita Quiero 